0: Um, our reading this morning comes from the um, letter of from Paul to the his first letter to the Thessalonians and thanks Tash oh she's disappeared probably thank you Tash for your lovely um, introduction and overview of um, the situation of Paul's letter this morning so it's from 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 17 through to 3 13. Paul's longing to see the Thessalonians. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you, in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials for you know quite well that we are destined for them in fact when we were with you we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way as you well know for this reason when i could stand it no longer i sent to find out about your faith I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just come now, has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Jesus comes with all his holy ones.
1: With us, how are we going? Volume-wise, can you hear me? Okay, great. All right. Let's pray as we uh, spend more time in this this passage. Lord God, as we sit under Your word this morning, turn our hearts towards You, just as we've been singing. Turn our hearts towards Your call on our lives. Open our eyes to Your truths. Give us undivided minds for you. And Lord, satisfy us with who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently redid my first aid training. Uh, It had been a while, and uh, it was a good experience again. It's a bunch of online learning beforehand, and then a a full day in in person. And it's very helpful. It's a uh, a hands-on day. It's clear. It's practical. And so I'm pleased to say I am now a qualified first aider. I even have the app on my phone as well. So if anyone hurts themselves at church or, you know, you need some sort of first aid care, Uh, Catherine is still a much better option than me um, or any number of the medical professionals amongst us. Uh, But I uh, I, I do uh, remember some of my training. I remember some of it. Here's here's one little snapshot just to prove I remember it. Uh, They talk about approaching a car crash and they they teach you to... uh, As you approach, it's the quiet person who you should be particularly concerned about. Uh, The the, the loud screaming person is clearly conscious and clearly breathing, although distressed. Uh, It's it's the person who is quiet that's actually the the bigger concern. It's the well-being of the quiet one that's your top priority. So you've got to intentionally focus on the less obvious need. The well-being of someone's faith in Jesus is also often the less obvious need. Someone's going through a, a, a tough time, they've just had a surgery or it's a stressful season of life and, and it's obvious that an offer of a meal would be helpful. It's, it's, it's obvious that an offer to look after the kids would be helpful. It's obvious that an offer to do some gardening would be helpful and those are good things. It's, it, it's easy to focus on the obvious and miss the top priority, their faith. Is it strengthening or weakening from the experience they're going through? How's their relationship with Jesus? Are they talking to him? Are they praying? Do, do they need a, a simple but profound reminder of, of his comforting love over them? The well-being of someone's faith in Jesus is the less obvious need, but it's of greater importance. And that's what this, this passage we're looking at today is about, 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 10. and we'll focus up till 3, verse 8. We're going to see here Paul's intense focus on the faith well-being of others. Three things we're going to explore this morning. Uh, firstly, uh, a focus on faith. Secondly, factors for a faith focus. And thirdly, fulfilling firm faith. So firstly, a focus on faith. Uh, Have a look with me at uh, chapter 2, verse 17. If you've got your Bible or a device, that's fantastic. Otherwise, you will see uh, uh, most of it coming up on the screen as well. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 17, Paul's heart for the Thessalonian Christians just jumps off the page in this section, doesn't it? Did you notice it? Uh, He begins in this section, he's contrasting the Thessalonian Christians with others who have been rejecting Jesus. So he says, but... Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. So what's happened here is we read between the lines of the back story of Paul's letter, is that Paul and his ministry team have evangelized this young Thessalonian church into existence. But persecution has forced them to leave earlier than they had planned. And you can read about that in Acts chapter, 18, uh, uh, Acts chapter 17 as well. And he describes this experience of having to leave early for him and his ministry team as like a child being orphaned. See, they had to abruptly leave the church they're serving, and they say the experience is like a child losing their parents. It's very strong language. Paul says he has an intense longing, making every effort to get back to them if he can. He has a deep concern for their well-being. Paul's other-person-centeredness, I think, is a great challenge to us all. He has a deep concern for others, for the well-being of others. And notice the focus of his heartfelt, deep concern. It's their faith. It's their faith. Paul is desperate to see them, but he can't. And so he comes up with a plan B. Jump down with me to chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. He says, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage your faith. Paul is anxious ...for this young church. I, I can't think of, a, of another word to describe it. He appears anxious. Are, are they still following Jesus? Are they staying strong? Have they been tempted away... ...because it's just all too hard... ...following Jesus for them? He has a deep concern... ...for their faith well-being. He's got to know. Uh, the other night... ...the uh, pod youth group leaders hung out... Uh, ...just on Friday night... ...and we had a, we had a great time together... And uh, we played a card game called Avalon. And uh, basically, uh, some in, the, in the, the group, in the game, uh, are trying to succeed, see the team succeed, and they're on the, the good team. There are others in the game who are trying to sabotage those efforts. They're on the bad team. And uh, the, the bad team mostly know who they are, Uh, but not all of them, the good team don't really know who anyone is. So really, it's a bit of a mystery as to who everyone is, and you're trying to figure out who's who based on actions and choices they make in the game. It's a sea of confusion amongst the wins and losses along the way, and it really results in a huge amount of distrust and suspicion for the entirety of the game. It's fun chaos. Um, And there we were at the crucial moment the last quest that we were going on together. It's going to make or break the whole game and the suspense is thick. You've got to know, is Simon on the good team, like he's been saying all along? Was Fiona lying when she said, yes, he's on the good team? The final five cards are going to be played. They've been imported by me and four other people around the table. These cards will reveal either sabotage or victory. And the first card goes down. Success. The next card goes down. Success. The next card goes down. Fail! 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 The suspense gives way to tragedy for the good team and joyful victory for myself and my three other bad teammates. I think I've got a few of the leaders still fairly upset with me. Um, <laughs> again, well done, Fiona, and my other teammates. Uh, you spend the whole game, if you're on the good team, going, I've got to know, I've got to know, who are you? Is he good? Is she bad? Is, uh, who are they? Paul's been separated from the Thessalonians, and he's going, I've got to know, I've got to know. Are they good? Are they going okay? Or are they not? I've got to know he has a deep concern for their faith well-being. The first way, the first way that Paul loved people was by seeking to strengthen and encourage faith. It's a lesson for us. When we focus our crisis care solely on physical needs, whether that's close to home or global overseas aid, If we focus our care solely on physical needs, we are tragically neglecting the quieter and more important well-being concern of faith in Jesus. Like the silent car crash victim, we don't want to get distracted by the louder, more obvious needs. Faith is the focus. John Piper helpfully put it this way when he said, Christians should care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. As disciples of Jesus, it's our calling in life to have a priority of faith in any and all of our circles of influence. Is the faith or lack of faith perhaps your top concern in your friendships? Uh, does faith show as a priority in your conversations, in, in the way you show your practical care of people? Does uh, faith show in, in those places? As I've sat in this passage this week, I've been personally challenged uh, that uh, I think I've been uh, too timid in, in prompting faith conversations in some recent connections I've made. Paul has a deep concern for the Thessalonian church's faith well-being. So why is faith such the priority? Scattered throughout this section are at least four factors feeding Paul's deep concern focusing on their faith. So second thing we want to see, factors for a faith focus. And the first of those factors, uh, the reality of spiritual warfare. In verse 18, he has said to them that that Satan has blocked him from coming to see them again. He wants them to know that he believes that there is spiritual warfare at the root of his frustrated plans to see them. In verse 5 of chapter 3, he's shown us that he's afraid for them because he's worried that the tempter might have tempted them in some way successfully. Uh, Paul, Paul has Satan again in mind here, just like the sort of tempting that, G, that, uh, that the devil tried to do with Jesus in the desert. Faith is the focus for Paul because there's powers of spiritual darkness in this world that are clever and powerful and nasty, and they are out to destroy you and I. They would love to see us destroyed, and Paul knows this, so faith. Is the focus second factor why faith is the focus it's an eternal perspective uh, jump back up with me to verse 19 we skipped over it before first 19 of chapter 2 he says to the Thessalonians for for what is our hope our joy or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes is it not you Thessalonian Christians indeed you are our glory and joy Paul has Jesus' return in mind. He is keenly aware that this world is not our home. He is keenly aware that Jesus is coming back. And he is coming back to bring about an amazing new creation for all believers to enjoy with him forever. That's an interesting scene in Paul's mind. He envisages himself standing before Jesus on the last day and bringing with him this Thessalonian church as the proof that he's been faithful in his missionary calling. It's a picture of the Thessalonian church being like a a crown on Paul's head, symbolizing the effectiveness of his work. Faith is the focus because he knows Jesus is coming back. And Paul wants these Thessalonian Christians standing before Jesus, not in judgment, but in realized hope and joy and glory for eternity. A third factor why faith is the focus. It's the danger of suffering. And we will see the potential of it in a minute, but firstly, the danger of suffering. Paul's aware of the persecution that they are facing. He's very aware of it. He warned them of it. It, It's real, it's painful, and it has the potential to destroy their faith. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 4. It says, In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer... I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. The reason why he's so anxious to check in with them is because of the, the potential danger in persecution. The danger he had in mind was not a job lost. It was not a house burned down. It was not a rock thrown. It was not even death. The danger he had in mind is that they might give up following Jesus and all Paul's efforts would have been worthless, in vain. Faith is the focus because whether someone is with Jesus or not is what really matters at the end of the day. I used to like watching a, a TV series. Uh, I think it was just called Bear Grylls. Here's a picture of him. You might might remember this guy. Uh, he got pretty popular for a while with this series. Basically, the way it usually goes is, uh, is a helicopter plonks him into the middle of nowhere with just some very basic supplies and the cameraman, who I'm pretty sure is the real hero of the story, <laughs> um, he... Think about every scene where he jumps off and the camera jumps with him. Uh, there you go. Think about that. Uh, so... Bear slowly moves his way to civilization, commenting on survival tactics along the way. It's quite riveting stuff. And I still remember one phrase that he teaches. He, he teaches this phrase, please remember what's first. Please remember what's first. Does anyone know what it stands for? Anyone heard it before? Oh, there we go. All right, you're, you're about to learn something new. Uh, if you ever find yourself on a, stranded on an island, remember, please remember what's first. Uh, protection, rescue, Water, food, protection, rescue, a way to signal for rescue, water, and food. Uh, You might think that water is the top priority, but Bear warns that, well, you've got two or three days before going without water kills you. Whilst exposure to the elements without protection, extreme heat or extreme cold, that could kill you in a much shorter amount of time. So please remember, what's first? Protection is at the top of the list. Paul recounts his anxious concern for the Thessalonians' faith in the midst of persecution and suffering and pain to tell them, please remember what's first. Your faith in the Lord Jesus, your discipleship to him and and others' discipleship to him too. Please remember what's first the last of four factors feeding Paul's focus on faith. It's the meaningful potential of human effort. The meaningful potential of human effort. Let me break this one down a bit. Notice notice Paul cares about the outcome of his efforts in the service of the Lord Jesus. Look back at at verse 5 with me. He says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. He's afraid that after all the gospel preaching and discipling that Paul and his team did amongst the Thessalonians, that after all of that, that they might have walked away. And then he says it would have been for nothing. There's something very theologically significant on display here. There's an important tension to grapple with. It's a tension that has implications for the way that we serve in church life. Often in our Bible reading, it's better to look for tensions rather than to end up cancelling one verse out with another or bonking one verse over the head with another verse. It's often helpful to hold them in tension. and So let's see this tension. Paul is clearly a very loud voice in the New Testament for the complete and utter sovereignty of God. He is convinced and argues for. He's convinced that God makes the growth happen. He tells the Corinthians, I planted a polis water, God brings the growth. He's convinced that God is the one who predestines before the foundation of time, that God is the one who adopts into his family that God is the one who saves as a free gift, Ephesians one and 2. He's convinced that it is God who works in us to bring about His good will and purposes. Philippians 2. I could go on. Paul is well known in the New Testament. Is he not for yelling loudly, "God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. He changes you not by works. it's all him. He changes, He saves. Paul is convinced of the primacy of God's sovereignty. But I don't think he would subscribe to the simplistic thinking of phrases like these kinds of phrases. Have you ever heard them before? Phrases like, we preach the word, everything else is up to God. We run the Bible study, everything else is up to God. We run the youth program, everything else is up to God. We play the music, everything else is up to God. We serve the tea and coffee, everything else is up to God. See, Paul's an outcomes thinker. He says, I preach the word and God is sovereign. He will do what he wants to see happen, happen. And what I do does have a real impact and result on people. He is keenly aware that by God's sovereign design and choice, that human effort makes a real and genuine difference, which means that there are more or less effective ways to go about things, isn't there? Uh, think about it for, for example. Uh, Paul's own example here in, in the passage. Uh, Paul desperately wants to get back to the Thessalonians. He can't. He sends Timothy, and then even after that, he continues to pray to God in the last, last uh, section of what we heard read earlier. Please, may I get to go back there, God? He, he does all that because he's convinced that, again, under God's sovereignty, whether he goes or not, may result in different faith outcomes based on the effectiveness of his ministry methods. I th- think about it. If, if I decide to preach a, a one-hour long monologue to the teenagers on Friday night at youth group, and they end up sleeping rather than getting excited about following Jesus, then there's a lot of that on me, isn't there? You now, God is sovereign. He might overrule and choose that night to bring about revival. But normally, normally he doesn't. And he lets the consequences of my poor method choice play out. The tension on display here in Paul's letter is God's sovereignty and human responsibility, or the meaningful potential of our efforts. So Paul desires to get back to them. He can't, he sends sends Timothy, he prays instead because he wants to get back to them, all because he cares about the outcome of his initial preaching and evangelizing because he cares and loves the people. Out of love, he is an outcomes thinker. And in the end, the growing faith of others is a great source of joy for him. And especially when he can see but he played a part in it, again, under God. How comes thinking? Do you think that way when you serve? Uh, Connect group leaders, kids' church teachers, youth leaders. Do you find yourself approaching a time serving with, with the goal to get through your plan, get through your lesson, get through your program, get through your content? Or is your goal that your participants might learn and grow? Changes the way we approach things. Outcomes thinking in our serving teams means we we don't just come in to check off to-do list tasks. You you get to the end of of serving on Sunday. Tick, I turned up on time. Tick, I set things up the way we always do. Tick, I did the things and I did the things well outcomes thinking in our serving teams is, is to go beyond that and, and want to push deeper and and is wanting to take responsibility for the effectiveness of our efforts how, how are we going with that what could we change what we could modify what's what to so that we see more happening of the aims that we want to see happening the disciple making aims that we want to see happening team leaders amongst us do, do you foster and encourage that in your teams and for all of us, most importantly, when you serve, is the growing faith of others a source of great joy for you? Remember to stop and pause and celebrate the wins too, okay? eh? Make, make sure you, you pray for people and make sure you praise God for people too when you see them impacted by your ministry. Third thing to explore in this passage, fulfilling firm Faith. So how are they going in the midst of persecution? We haven't got to it yet. The suspense is hanging. How are the Thessalonians going in the midst of the persecution they've been facing? The persecution has had the opposite effect to Paul's fears. And you can, as you read it, you can almost feel Paul's relief oozing off the words on the page. Have a look at at, uh, verse 6 of chapter 3. But Timothy has now just come to us from you and he's brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. You can see the reciprocal warm hearts shining through. There's a lot of love and care flying around here. And Timothy's brought good news. Oh man, we like Timothy. He's a good guy. Uh, Good news about what? Their their faith and love. How how does Timothy see their faith expressed? He sees it because he can see their love. Faith, Faith is visible in our loving actions. So if I claim to have solid faith and solid biblical understanding, but lack generous love, then Timothy might give a very different report if he had come to visit me. But he sees faith and love. How relieved Paul is that his friends are doing good. It's like a teacher's delight at the success of a student, isn't it? Paul's joy is evident in the faith of the Thessalonians standing firm. And we come to see that, that joy and that relief hit a crescendo at at verse 8. Look at 7 and then we'll look at 8. He says, "'Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, "'we are encouraged because of your faith.' For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. You can see Jesus' heart echoed in Paul here, can't you? There's this selfless focus on the good of others, resulting in this sort of feedback of joy back to him. The faith of others is a source of great joy for Paul, and that's a challenge to us as well, isn't it? Is it for you? Does the faith of others get you up in the morning, get you excited when you start to see their faith strengthened? Does it drive your ambitions in life and your choices to serve in church and how you serve in your ministry? Do you remember the uh, Christian youth videos of the 90s? Anyone watched any of those? Do Do you remember? Generally, they usually involved two things. Extreme sports and half of John chapter 10, verse 10. Has anyone got that one in Instant Bible Recall? Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And they usually paraphrase that to the max, life to the max. Now, probably somewhere in these extreme sports pseudo-Christian videos was something useful in these videos. But there was this strange implication a lot of the time that following Jesus meant pursuing adrenaline highs in places like extreme sports or at least saying hey look you can be a follower of Jesus and pursue your joy and happiness in all kinds of things in the world not helpful is it what's really living according to Paul what's really living you get to proclaim the gospel of the living God You have to put that invitation out there and and you you see someone respond to the Lord Jesus in, in faith that he is their Lord and that he is their savior. And then you start to see their faith mature over time. Paul goes, you watch that up close. Now I'm really living. That's where our joy comes from. Paul lives. For the faith of others, it fulfills him, seeing firm faith. It brings him meaning. It brings him purpose. And it's given to him by God, and it's given to us by God too. This passage of God's word is calling you and I to live our lives prioritizing the faith well-being of others. And may we delight like Paul when faith and love hold firm in those we invest in. So as we draw things to a close, uh, three, three implications from the story of Paul and the Thessalonian Christians. Firstly, disciple of Jesus, is the top priority of your life, seeing people come to faith in the risen Lord Jesus and then to stand firm with him? Is that your top priority? Because no matter what circumstances someone is in, the first way we love people is by seeking to strengthen and encourage their faith in Jesus. You and I have a mission statement. Do you know it? The exact wording of it is relatively new to us as a church, but it's the same mission that Jesus' church has always had. Our mission is to make mature disciples of Jesus, in ever-increasing number worldwide, for the glory of God and the love of others. That is our mission. We want to see people in ever-increasing numbers coming to Jesus, having putting their faith in him, and then standing firm in him, and then going deeper in their faith with him, and that is both glorifying to God and profoundly loving towards other people. No matter the circumstances, the first way we love people is by seeking to encourage their faith. Second second thing to consider. Now is the time. Now is the time. Paul and the Thessalonians were were both in different places facing significant persecution. One could have argued to them Let's be sensible about this. Let's be reasonable. It's, it's, it's a reasonable time for you now to just bunker down, focus on yourselves, chill, build some security, build some safety, let this whole thing settle down a little bit. Be, be smart. Take the foot off the accelerator of gospel proclamation for a minute. It, it, it's too costly at the moment. Or, what, or one might argue to you today, now's a reasonable time to bunker down. Get your education sorted. Get your family established. Get your mortgage down or get your retirement secure. Focus on that important goal. Make that your top priority. There's no right time to start living our life prioritising the faith well-being of our others. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then now is the time. Making other disciples of Jesus is what your primary school years is all about. It's what your high school years is all about. It's what your your uni or your TAFE or your training years is all about. It's what your adult working life is all about. Making disciples of Jesus is what your parenting is all about. It's what your retirement is all about. It's what your deathbed is all about. Name any moment or any season, and that's the right time to focus on making disciples of Jesus. As we journey with him as disciples ourselves, now is the time. Third and final implication from this story of Paul and the Thessalonians pray for the faith of others. That's where he goes next in the next bit of the passage that we don't have time for this morning. So pray for friends, pray for the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters around the world, and pray for Sunday mornings as a few examples. Pray for your friends both those who do know and those who don't yet know Jesus pray for the persecuted church that our brothers and sisters might stand firm it's the number one prayer need that they need and that they keep telling the church where it's safe to follow Jesus pray for us to stand firm they need God's strength to endure the pain and pressure of persecution to stand firm with Jesus at all costs And pray for Sunday mornings as well. One resource that I was using with some of the teenagers a little while ago had a great idea in it. It encouraged us to, on your way to church, uh, to pray about where you're going to sit and to pray about who you're going to talk to after the service. So let's let's think about that for a moment, a bit of a, a team huddle, if you like. So if you're with us this morning and you're visiting, please excuse the awkwardness of this quick team huddle. And uh, it'll be brief, and please feel free to listen in as well. Uh, Do you live your life prioritising the faith well-being of others, BBC, in the first five minutes after the formal gathering in here? Because research shows us that it's in the first couple of minutes when someone's visiting a church and visiting for the first time that they will decide whether to stay or leave talking to anyone about the first five minutes, it's long before they get to the hub on the way out the doors. So in the first five minutes after the formal gathering finishes in here, live your life prioritising the faith well-being of others, not just your closest friend who you can talk to anytime. It's an important one to talk about. and Church, I, I know you do care. I know you do want to warmly welcome. It just takes us all continual intentionality doesn't it to be actively welcoming especially in those first moments all right team huddle over um paul's testimony of labor and prayer for the thessalonians leaves us with a challenge to live our lives prioritizing the faith well-being of others i just want to finish with um some words of a poem that I, that I heard um, many years ago now uh, that have stuck with me ever since uh, by an author and missionary named C.T. Studd. Uh, the whole poem is great. Feel free to look it up later. But let me leave this with, with these two lines and then I'll pray um, as the, the gathering team musos come up. Only one life, t'will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, grow our belief in those words. Help us to live our life prioritising the faith of others. And Lord, bring us joy when we see you do your amazing transformative work in people's lives. For your glory and for your honour and for our joy in you, we pray. Amen. Please stand.